0: Thank you for those words, Amanda. I appreciate them so much. Um, I'm a blessed woman. I am blessed to be here with all of you today, and I'm so thankful for all of you that have come here to be with your moms and uh, just taking the time to be here with us today. I hope you feel comfortable and welcomed and a part because you are. You are. Even if you're not here every Sunday, I can assure you that your names are called out in prayer. And when you hurt, we hurt. And when you're rejoicing, we're rejoicing with you. And when you're having a problem, we're praying for that problem. Now, I'm not saying your moms and dads get in all your business and tell everything that you don't want us to know. But I am saying that when there's something going on, they'll say, would you please pray and we pray and so you are in the fabric of this church today and we're glad you're here and we celebrate our mothers today and hopefully each of you honor your mother with respect every day but we take the time on this special day mother's day to recognize the sacrifices the hard work and the love that our mothers poured into us. I, I had to laugh. I, love, I was just enjoying that song that we just sang. Um, but if, if you know me, if you sing in the choir by me, they already know this, that sometimes words, I forget words. Not on purpose, I just do. But I have this infuriating habit that I just make up words. I don't ever, you know, just not sing. I just sing something that I think fits. And with my girls, when we were growing up, it soon became, became evident to me that that just drove them crazy. When I would sing the wrong words, they would go nuts. So when I realized that, I started trying to do it on purpose sometimes. Just say it. And that was one of the songs. And I remember I was just thinking, I, I'm going to sing this, you know, in their hearing. And I was singing. I'm going to dance for you like nobody's business, nobody's business. Sure enough, I go, yeah, but it's good, isn't it? Because you don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm just going to do it, nobody's business, doesn't matter. (laughs) But for all of us, there's things that we can recognize. I remember at a school concert, it was junior high, And I remember I went home and I told my mom and I said, everybody has a new outfit for the concert. Now you just have to understand and put this into relationship with where I was right at that point. My mom made all of our clothes. Um, Bless God, we weren't going to let some big huge hunk of double knit go to waste that we could get for 29 cents a yard. She was going to buy every bit of it, and we're going to get at least three dresses and three skirts, and Chuck was even going to get some elastic pants. (laughs) But I went home, so it wasn't like that she was going to go to the store and just grab something for me and all of this. I was like, Mom, everybody's going to have a new dress. I mean, I didn't say dress. I said a new outfit. And I remember my mom grabbing what was called whipped cream material, and she made this beautiful white dress for me. It was so pretty, and I was so proud of it. And when we got there, she was so mad at me because she had just, as soon as as I got home, she cut that out, she whipped it up, and put it, and I wore it, and there were kids there in jeans, and there were kids there in definitely not new outfits. And, but I had my new white dress, and I sang. That was the kind of mom I had. And, you know, this week I was reading a book from one of my students' book reports because they were given the book report, and I never read the book. And, of course, I didn't know if they were telling all the truth, so I had to read the book. And it was a good little book. But as I was reading it, it reminded me of a true-to-life story that I heard, and I called and got permission to use this story. Our own Betty Woodward, um, when she was expecting, <laughs> when she was expecting Christy, and she was in the last few weeks of her pregnancy, Lorena was in second grade, and I remember when they told me this story, I, and, and this, this was similar in that book, and it reminded me of it, and Lorena's birthday was on May 25th. Now, second grade, without telling Betty, Lorena made up invitations for a party, a birthday party. And the invitations said, all of you girls and Elisa... I know you were at that party. Lisa Sloats here today and she was at that party. Lorena made up these invitations and it said you're going to get on the bus and you're going to ride home and then we're going to have this amazing birthday party for Lorena. And Lorena told me that Bev knew about it, but Bev didn't want to tell her mom. She just kept saying, "Lorena, you better tell your mom. You better tell mom. You better t- And I'm going to and she said I really meant to, but she didn't. Well, the day of the party, Betty received a call from one of the girls' mother asking what time the party would be over that day and what time should I pick up my daughter from your house. That was the first notice Betty had of the party. And she told the lady, and the lady goes, well, I'm just going to say there's like five or six girls going to get off the bus with you, with Lorena today, and they're coming for a party. And... Betty already had a cake baked for Lorena's birthday. She said for supper, but she had to call Wanda, who got off at 3 from the hospital, and she had she goes you got to pick up ice cream and you got to pick up cups and everything else that somebody needs for a party. And by the time all the girls got off the bus with Lorena, Betty had a party ready. And I asked Lorena, I said, "How did you think that that party was going to happen? Like you were just going to get off the bus, and voila, there was going to be a party. And she said, I never really thought about it. She said, I honestly don't even remember the ride home on the bus. She said, but when I got there, everything was ready. And she said, I thought my mom has eyes in the back of her head. And nine days later, Betty presented Christy to the world on June 3rd. Those are the kind of things that moms do day in and day out without fanfare or fanfare or publicity speaking of eyes in the back of your head i remembered a story that mona owens told me and we were in a service that there was deep prayer and deep intercession going on and mona just felt immediately prompted she didn't want to be rude she just got up made her way out to text matthew matthew was not living for the lord at that time and matthew told his mom he said mom I prayed that a man would come to me and speak the word of the Lord to me. And I knew the Lord would answer. I just didn't know the answer was going to come from a woman with the text. You just never know. But those are the things that make moms special. And I was reading this week an article in the National Geographic about Mother's Day. And Anna Jarvis is often credited, you'll see her name, credit it with founding Mother's Day in the United States but Mother's Day didn't start with her and her proclaiming it to be Mother's Day it started as an anti-war movement believe it or not you know the lady Julia uh, Julia Ward Howe that wrote the Battle Hymn of Republic she promoted a Mother's Peace Day beginning in 1872 following the Civil War and for her and other anti-war activists, including Anna Jarvis's mother, Mother's Day was a way to promote global unity after the horrors of the American Civil War. And they would call for women together once a year in parlors and churches and social halls and listen to sermons and present essays and sing hymns or pray if they wish, all in the name of promoting peace. And several American cities, according to the historian Catherine Antolini, said that Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and Chicago held annual June 2nd Mother's Day services until roughly 1913, which were promoting peace. And they became so popular, but they were only popular among peace activists, that it kind of faded off when other promoters took center stage. There was a former football coach and faculty member of Notre Dame, Frank Herring, and he proposed the idea of a Mother's Day before Anna Jarvis. In 1904, Herring urged an Indianapolis gathering of the Fraternal Order of Eagles to support setting aside one day in the year as a nationwide memorial to the memory of mothers and motherhood. Now, he didn't suggest a specific day or month, but he did note a preference for Mother's Day falling on Sunday. So the Fraternal Order of Eagles took up Herring's challenge, and today that organization says Frank Herring and the Eagles are the true founders of Mother's Day. Well, Anna Jarvis, she did not like the idea of Mother's Day having a father in Herring. So she blasted him in an updated 1920 statement entitled, Kidnapping Mother's Day, Will You Be An Accomplice? And this is what she said, I quote, Do me the justice of refraining from furthering the selfish interest of this claimant, Jarvis wrote, who is making a desperate effort to snatch from me the rightful title of originator and founder of Mother's Day, established by me after decades of untold labor, time, and expense. Who even knew there was this controversy? Antolini, the historian says that Jarvis, who never had children, was acting partly out of ego. Everything she signed said Anna Jarvis, founder of, Mother Day, founder of Mother's Day. It was who she was. It was her identity. President Woodrow Wilson in 1914 designated the second Sunday, hence we are today, in May, as the official date for Mother's Day to be celebrated. And Anna Jarvis took great pains to acquire and defend her role ...as the mother of Mother's Day... ...and to focus the day on celebrating the mothers. The white carnation was the favorite flower of Anna Jarvis's mother... ...and it was the original flower of Mother's Day. And this is why. The carnation does not drop its petals... ...but it hugs them to its heart as it dies... ...and so too mothers hug their children to their hearts. Their mothers love never dying, Jarvis explained in a 1927 interview... Since the early days of Mother's Day, some groups have seized on it as a chance to raise funds for various charitable causes, including mothers in need, and Anna Jarvis hated that. She called those charities Christian Pirates. She really didn't worry about what she said, did she? She said, today most of us would think it was wonderful. Antolini said, today most of us would think it was wonderful to use the day to raise funds to support poor mothers or families of World War I veterans or another worthy group, but she hated him for that. Much of the reason why is that in the days before charity watchdog organizations, she simply didn't trust that those fundraisers would deliver the money to the people it was supposed to help. She resented the idea that profiteers would use the day as just another way of making money. But it didn't take long for Anna Jarvis's Mother's Day to get commercialized, with Jarvis fighting against what it became. She said, To have Mother's Day, the burdensome, wasteful, expensive gift day that Christmas and other special days have become, is not our pleasure, she wrote in the 1920s. If the American people are not willing to protect Mother's Day from the hordes of money schemers that would overwhelm it with their schemes, then we shall cease having a Mother's Day, and we know how. And a 1944 Newsweek article reported that at one time she had as many as 33 pending Mother's Day lawsuits. She always considered Mother's Day her intellectual and legal property, and she wasn't afraid to lawyer up in its defense. Now, Anna Jarvis died penniless at the age of 84. She went broke using what monies she had battling the holidays' commercialization. Well, as we all know, Anna's efforts failed. Because Mother's Day this spending this year will top $23 billion, according to the National Retail Federation's annual Mother's Day spending survey. Americans will spend an average of $186.39 on their mom this year. We're below average, Calvin. No, I'm saying for our mothers. 77% plan to spend a greeting card, and 69% of Americans will send moms flowers, and 36% plan to buy their mom jewelry. The National Restaurant Association reports that Mother's Day is the most popular holiday of the entire year to dine out. Not too many men stepping up and cooking for their wives, right? <laughs> Honey, where do you want to go to eat? And the wives say, absolutely, let's go, because they know they're going to have to clean up if their husband cooks it anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Can I get an amen? Maybe not. Some of you may do it all. I personally... In spite of Anna Jarvis's efforts, I am thankful for every card, every note, every phone call I've received from my children on Mother's Day. Amen? But I am in agreement with John in 3 John 1-4 when he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You don't have to get me a card. You don't even have to say anything. But if you live your life to please the Lord, that is the most amazing Mother's Day gift that could ever be given. John Whitehead said, Children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. All of us have something in common today. And if you don't, if this doesn't fit you, then I want you to stand right now. We all have a mother, right? We do. We all have different experiences. We all have different memories. We all have different things that we hold precious and things that maybe we want to forget. But the fact of the matter is, we're all blessed with a mother. Motherhood is exhausting. If you do it right, it's exhausting. It's well worth the struggle. It's well worth everything that you put in it. But there is no denying that it is nonstop from the moment your children arrive until they move out or they're kicked out. I remember when my girls were born and they say there's two groups of people, that there's the group that. Thinks, oh my lord, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know what, and they have a nervous breakdown before. And then the baby comes, and they're like, "This wasn't as hard as I thought." And then there's the other group that says, "I've read everything there is to read. I've got all my list. I know what's going to happen, and I can do this. I can do it." And they have a nervous breakdown after the baby comes. That was my group. And we were in the hospital, and I just remember how exhausted those. That first week was my husband was sleeping in the hospital and he was driving to a revival that was about, oh, I don't know, 20 miles, maybe 20 miles away. And he would stay there during the day and he would leave and go preach. He said, I don't even remember what I preached that week. He apologized to that pastor later and said, I don't even know what I said that week. (laughs) I just say, I'm sorry. And then he would drive back and be there. For another night with the twins, <laughs> not with the frogs, but with the twins. And I remember this one night, I woke up. I woke up because I I sensed movement, and I looked over there, and he had this pillow up on his chest and on his shoulder, and he was just beating that pillow. And I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm burping this baby. That's what I'm doing." said, you are exhausted. Lay down. There's not a baby there. But as moms, there's just so many experiences, so many things that you can't duplicate in any other arena. It's just special times. And my own mom, my mother taught me so much about God. And Yes, she read Bible stories to me. She took me to church. She told me things about God. But I want to say to you that she, when she was doing that, there was something, you know, she, yes, she surrounded me with godly influences, but the main impact that she had on my daily life was that she demonstrated to me who God was. She was a picture of God. Now, my father showed me a different side of God. He, too, showed that. But my mother showed me a side of God. And she exampled to me that this is who God is in your life. Some of them are humorous to me. Psalms 23, 6. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Get that word? He maketh me to lie down. Does anybody remember those Sunday afternoon naps? I hated them with a passion. I was like, I want to play. It's beautiful outside. The world is waiting to be discovered, and you want me to lay down in this bed? Why would somebody want a child to waste those lovely hours on napping? I look back on it now, and I say, what in the world was the matter with me? Where are those naps? I want those hours back. I realize now that she was making sure we didn't destroy the house while she napped. Hebrews twelve six, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. My mother was a firm believer in the application of love to the backside of her children. I remember in particular one time... When my mom was starting, we were starting to grow up a little bit, and we had moved to this house, and it it was a big two-story house. And it had a big front porch, and it had steps, and it had these trees in front of it, and then the whole backyard. And I remember my sister got in trouble, and my mother was furious with her, and she took out after her. And we all just were in the house. Chuck and I were in the house, and Tina came running by, and then my mom came running by, and they went out the front door. And Chuck and I were right behind them. We were following. This was exciting. And we watched Tina run down the stairs, and my mom ran down the stairs, and Tina went around behind the bushes, and my mom was following her. And then she went up on the porch and jumped off the side, and my mom came back and went down the stairs and came after her. And Chuck and I just sat on the front porch and on the swing. This was better than TV. I'm just telling you. Oh no 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 and my mom came back around and she was panting and she goes <laughs> she still hadn't caught my sister and she goes when your dad gets home you're going to get it <laughs> Hebrews 13:8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever my mom taught me consistency she showed me that you live each day as unto the Lord. And she didn't forget the rules that she made. I knew there were some lines that you were not to cross. And if I did, I refer you back to the previous scripture in Hebrews 12.6. Whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth." Long suffering and patience. Psalms 103, eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. You just had to understand my mom when she was raising us we were living in an older, older type church, literally living in the church. They had built rooms onto the church, and that's where we lived. And when we first moved there, you know, just kids, we didn't see really the, um, it was just kind of pitiful, if I'm going to be honest with you. And But we just thought it was kind of cool because it had all these old nooks and crannies and an old scary basement. And, you know, we just thought it was pretty cool. Well, they were, the church began to grow and they wanted to help. Our family, because our, we had three kids and we had one bedroom that was downstairs designated for guest speakers because back then you didn't put anybody in a motel. They all stayed in your house, all their kids, and, you, and it was just the way it was. And so we had three, two little rooms upstairs and one there was one little attic room. And so they built this big, huge room that we could have as our bedroom. The only problem was it was right over the sanctuary, And there's just something about it. When you come off those stairs and you just like take a leap and you just land on the floor of your bedroom and then you run all the way to the bathroom and then you jump down those stairs and all of that is recorded in the sanctuary by the lights shaking. And my mom raised us in those times that she could have been so belligerent and said what do you think you're she knew we were kids and she exemplified that scripture that the Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy she taught me trust she followed my dad in situations that I'm sure were probably hard to understand situations where my dad would move into a church and begin to grow the church and when it got to you know, where it was really kicking and really going. And he'd say, it's time to go. And we'd turn it over to somebody else and go to another church that had about 20 people. And here we'd go again. And my mom just followed with me. And and she taught me that trust is something that's so very important. She taught me con- con- contentment. She didn't need a lot to make her happy. You... you You give her, you know, I told you about the double knit. You give her rolls of double knit, and she would whip up these clothes for all of us. We would come all in our red double knit. (laughs) She would vary it a little bit, but everybody knew it was the same double knit. But for my mom, just a cold glass of iced tea. If she had a glass full of ice, and it had sweet tea in it, it was sitting there, my mom could be content no matter where it was. And she taught me, the words of Paul that whatever state you find yourself in, to be content. It doesn't need, you don't need a lot of things to be happy. We, we live in a world where things constitute happiness. But that doesn't make happiness. Those actions and reactions and principles and teachings that she taught me stayed the same. And you know what that did? That created security in me as a child. The fences that she put in my life were restrictive. Shayla talked about it today in the ladies' class. But they weren't like a python, like she said. They weren't constrictive. They were restrictive. And they taught me to trust because they saved me from so much grief and despair. Things that I did not understand. Decisions that I did not understand. That as my life progressed and I understood, that's what she was talking about. I remember specifically the day that I realized I had my frontal lobes. I'm just saying. It doesn't always happen, but I can take you to the very spot I was in college, and all of a sudden, it was just like, man, my mom is a saint. She has put up with me, and I have been an idiot. I remember that moment. I remember that time. But that understanding did not come naturally. She had to put up with a lot of sass. And a lot of smart aleckness. I've been delivered. Thank you, Jesus. I experienced hardships when I stepped out of the umbrella of the protection that she had encircled me with. I knew better. But I wanted to demonstrate to them a better way. A wiser way. It never worked out like I thought it was going to work out. But my mom loved me enough to let me bear the consequences of my actions. She didn't fix it for me, but she walked through it with me, my tough times. She encouraged me. She didn't say, okay, we're going to take care of all these consequences. No, Cheryl, you did it. You're going to live it. But I'm going to be here for you, and I'm going to pray with you and for you. She prayed for me, and she loved me, and she forgave me. And that taught me who God was. She taught me the lengths that God will go. Psalms 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Psalms 46.7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I saw that exemplified. My mom was not an athletic person she she didn't play volleyball she didn't play basketball she didn't she could barely run just to be honest she would tell you that herself and I remember this one time that and i 've told this story, but it was a long time ago. Some of you may remember it some of you weren't here when I told it but my mom was driving this old plymouth fury and it was a white car that you put in and it and it was like you had to you had to almost stand on the the gear shift thingy to get it in drive. And it just, uh, well, we sang Angel Sound the Golden Trumpet when we rode in that car because the muffler sounded like he could come any moment. I'm just saying. But we she pulled into this, in front of this lady's house that had some of those wonderful bolts of double knit. And she had told my mother, I have some leftover material. If you'll come and pick it up, you can have it. And boy, there we went in the golden trumpet. Plymouth Fury, and we pulled up there and stopped. And it took a little longer. That lady was very gifted in conversation, and so it took a little longer than we expected. And it was hot, and she told us to stay in the car. And it was Chuck and me and Christina. Well, Christina and I got out of the car and we started doing cheers. We were, you know, doing all these cheers and practicing all this stuff. And my brother. Was in the back seat of the car Well we quit paying attention to him And he climbed over and got in the front seat of the car And he knocked the car out of gear And it was a straight hill That went straight down the, At the end of the hill it turned And then there was just a cliff That went behind this house So that car started We started realizing the car was moving So we began screaming Mommy, Jesus, Mommy Jesus, mommy. Jesus. And my mom came running out of that house. And I saw that scripture exemplified that the Lord is a present help in the time of the trouble. I saw my mother run like I've never seen anybody run in my life. And that car was already down past the driveway uh, of the net of the house that was right in front of the cliff. Chuck, Chuck, I don't know why he was two years old, why he didn't just turn that wheel, but he didn't. He was just standing there. In his elastic pants. Made of double knit. <laughs> and my mom was running and running. And she told us later. she Right when she got to the part where it was headed into those people's yard. She saw his face. And she said he was just looking at her with wide eyes. And about that time my mom lost her footing. And she just. The car. she was it, She was still hanging on. She wouldn't let go. And it was just dragging her through this these people's yard. And I've never seen, it was the craziest thing ever. There was a huge telephone pole. They were headed right for it. And it just turned, went past the telephone pole. And we're like, I mean, we're, we just, we can see what's getting ready to happen. Cause there's this cliff and my mom's just hanging on. And there was a little tiny dog house with a dog inside of it. And that car just rested right up against that dog house. And my mom opened the door and got my brother out. And he was crying and she was crying. But I knew at that moment, hey, this woman doesn't even run. And she just ran down there and she held onto that. And I knew that she had our back and she was never ever going to let us go if she could do anything about it. And she exemplified who God is to me, that when I am in trouble and when I am in a trial, He doesn't leave us. He goes with us. When we don't know where it's going to take us, He's going with us and He's going to bring us through. When I was rushing to destruction, He rescued me. And there was no way out. He became my sacrifice. And he gave his own life as a ransom. You know, the thing that amazes me the most about earthly mothers is their unfailing love and mercy for their children. That I stand here today, and Brother Gene sits there today, is a testimony of our mother's mercy. I've heard the things that he did. And I know the things I did. But you never realize when they place that little bundle in your arms just how profoundly it's going to change your life forever. I remember Merle Ewing telling the story of a man that had committed heinous crimes, things that they were actually going to execute and take his life. And the mother went before the judge, as people do, go and plead for them and, and for them to stay the execution. And she began to plead with the judge and tell the judge about her son and how much she loved him. And Brother Ewing said, that judge looked at that mother and he said, Ma'am, your son does not deserve this stay of execution. He does not deserve mercy. And the mother replied and she said, Judge, if my son deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy and I think that's the way it is with Jesus Christ our mediator who when the devil says because the Bible says he does it he goes and accuses the brethren and he says you know what they don't deserve it they haven't done what they should but Jesus stands up and he says I paid the price I'm granting the mercy that they deserve what they could not do in them their own selves I did for them and I made a way God's ways are above ours and sometimes they They're so hard to completely understand. And I believe that's one of the hardest jobs as a mother. To understand what's best for your child is not always offering them the easiest path or the things that they desire. As a mother, I got to tell you, I want to make my children happy. I want to do everything in my power to achieve those things they desire. I have to fight with myself. Even with those desires that are so strong that I had to restrain myself and realize that my children don't always know what's best. And always having their way was the worst decision that I could make. And that's a healthy balance that we have to fight to maintain. I came across this little poem and it kind of exemplified this. It says, I wish you enough. I wish you enough sun to keep your attitude bright. I wish you enough rain to appreciate the sun more. I wish you enough happiness to keep your spirit alive. But I wish you enough pain so that the smallest joys in life appear much bigger. I wish you enough gain to satisfy your wanting. But I wish you enough loss to appreciate all that you possess. I wish you enough hellos to get you through the final goodbye. As strong as a mother's love and their commitment to love, sacrifice, and the desire to present their children to the Lord, I want to tell you it cannot compare to the love that we experience from our Savior. You sit here today, and some of you have experienced some of the most incredible love and commitment from not just your mothers, but from people who have stepped in as caregivers, people who have sacrificed for you. And unfortunately, the world that we live in doesn't always deliver the perfect examples. And some of you may sit here today and say, Sister Jean, I've never had all these examples that you're describing. In fact, I was abandoned or I was abused. My experiences have taught me to be distrustful. But Psalms 27.1 says, The Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear, the Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, He shall set me upon a rock psalm twenty seven ten says, "When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up." Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain or a straight path. Some of you sit here today and you feel that maybe God has forgotten you and he doesn't know where you are. And maybe if he does, he can't forgive you because he knows what you've done. But Romans 8.1, I want to share with you, says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You cannot go too far. You cannot do anything that is going to separate you from His love. I stand here today to tell you that he is amazing and he thinks you're amazing and he loves you and he cherishes you and he wants you to be a success. Our problem is, is we project how we feel about ourselves on him. But that's not the way he is. Deuteronomy thirty three twenty seven 27 says... The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. One of the verses that demonstrates his love and commitment to us uses a comparison to a mother to demonstrate how deeply he is bound to us. Isaiah forty nine thirteen through 16 says, For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said... The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Oh, what a savior! Oh, what a savior! What a savior! What a picture of love and sacrifice and commitment that helps me to know I can be confident because the God who spun this world into existence cares for me like no one ever has or ever will. When no one else is capable of going with us in our darkest night and our deepest valley and our darkest trial, I want you to know that he is there with you and he's leading you and he's guiding you you. There are no coincidences. Those times that your life has been spared, it was the Savior of this world that was with you, speaking love to you, speaking his care into your life. He is with us. Hebrews thirteen five says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You can trust him. We walk in hope that though weeping may endure for the night, there is joy that is coming in the morning. Revelation 19, 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, And there was no more C. Will you come to the piano? Yeah. Because I know whatever I sing, you know it. Because I I know old stuff. And Sherry's a mother, and I want Sherry to be able to enjoy this as a mother. And it's going to be an E-flat. Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw that holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away Revelation 22 says and there shall be no night there and they need no candle neither light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever Those of you on the praise team that are men, you can come ahead as well. Moms, you just sit back and enjoy. He which testifies those things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.